they get roses and and you could do things like uh like we could do things like uh uh flashlights with the church logo on it uh that you'll just lose on your way home or a little compass you know your direction in life or we could give out salted and cured meats and So we don't really have a, uh, a health code uh, approved way of doing this other than just there's some Slim Jims coming around. And also, actually, we need to hold a couple of these back for Jim and uh, for Guy. Any other dads back there working? John, oh, yeah, Demeester, he specifically asked to make sure we hold this Slim Jim for him. Uh, oh, yeah, so we, we are health code approved. So... If you're a father and you would like some salted and cured meats, would you raise your hands? And, uh, oh, wow, this really wasn't thought through, was it? You can tell the guys decided to do this because <laughs> this isn't open. The che- there are cheeses. <laughs> yeah, that's disgusting. That'll change your life. It's amazing, though, how hard it is to find summer sausage in the summer, right? It's everywhere at Christmas, but nowhere I couldn't find any of that, so carry on. Okay, so the tray will be, just think of this as an offering to you. As the, as the tray comes by, uh, it's only for fathers. Yeah, absolutely. You have much work. Or going to be a father if you've got one in the oven. No, no, yeah, you can't. I don't know. He means he's going to. Is his mother-in-law here? He's going to be a father. You better get some jerky. Well, that, that's going to stink the place up. Okay, so those are coming around. You guys, just pass it around like an offering. Raise your hand again if you're a father. You would like some salted and cured meats. If you're not retaining enough water, I'm telling you, this will help. Right? Hey, there's some jerky up here. Why don't we pass this background? Just have a pull. That, uh, I'm going to tell you what, that Kroger jerky has kept me alive in many nations. Uh, protein, right? When, you're, right? when you're busy pushing the cat away from your plate, acting like you ate a little bit of it, you can go back and have some jerky. Um, Hey, guys, thank you for joining us. Uh, Statistics tell us that Father's Day is the third least attended day of church of the year. Uh, I don't know who who actually takes the time to do these numbers, but uh, I think we can thank Ed Stetzer. Uh, And I think some of it is probably twofold. One, that, hey, you know what, it's June and people are on vacation. And you know what, that's okay. I think that as a father, if you're not spending time with your family... That should be a priority for you. And I'd say this. I'm going to take it a step further. Sometimes as a father, you need to skip church and go with your family and be. Now, now look, don't do the, oh, we're taking a family day so you can sit home and kick back and take a daddy day. I'm saying take a daddy day with your family. Go fishing with them. Go. Now, but I would ask you to get in a cahoot so not everybody does it the same day. Just saying. Uh, but, but some of you guys need to do that, and some of them are doing it right now. Bassanio's out in the woods, I'm sure, killing something and eating it. Um, but uh, for those of you that did make it, uh, very grateful. 
Uh, we actually have, I hope you don't mind me doing this. Um, <laughs> spiritual heritage is an interesting thing. Uh, once you're about 41, you begin to look back and you've lived some life. and Right? But sometime probably around 30 years ago, would, is that when uh, Ruth Mickelson and Dave would have wandered into, uh, if you've ever been to the middle of nowhere, go north, <laughs> to North Dakota. And uh, Dave and Ruth Mickelson wandered in there some time ago, and uh, we, they call it church planting today, but they just, then it was just, you just follow Jesus, that's where Jesus said, go. And a little church was born that would then, uh, where my wife would uh, find Jesus and Carrie would encounter the Lord. And, and I guess what I was really intrigued by is the idea that maybe uh, those 30 plus years ago, it might have felt like it didn't do any good. Uh, every time you had to uh, shovel snow above your car. Um, <laughs> but I would say to you today that uh, without Dave and Ruth Mickelson, there wouldn't be a Darren and Shannon and there wouldn't be a conduit, and there wouldn't be, uh, there are little kids in uh, Jockmel, Haiti, in uh, Togo, Africa, in special needs kids in Angol, India, who are uh, being ministered to today, and I, there's this parable that Jesus tells that's a little like, huh, I wonder what he meant by that, when he talked about uh, a, 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 a boss that would leave town and he would leave a manager in charge and the manager would then take the resources of the master because he knew he was his time was short there and that he would then use uh, those resources to make friends is what he said uh, by handing out the master's money so to speak to people around him and when you read it on the surface it's well that's kind of just kind of ripped the guy off but Jesus uh, commended, it says, this servant, and he said it's because uh, the, the, the world knows how to use their uh, earthly possessions to win friends. Slim Jim. Um, but he says, but you don't know, and what, I, what I'm saying is that he was saying that you use your worldly possessions that you may someday be welcomed into eternity by your friends. And I believe truly what that means is that there are going to be some friends that you don't even know you have who will welcome you because someday it says we will fully know as we are fully known. And so, uh, for instance, the uh, four little children that, uh, that passed last month in Angola, India in the special needs orphanage, are uh, they fully know as they are fully known now. So I, I'll bet my left arm, which I don't need because I have two arms, but I, but I bet it anyway that you will be welcomed in by some folks someday that you didn't even know that were your friends who will, who will know the whole path of it. And, and I would say to um, you know, Matt and Kristen who have uh, moved to Botswana, Africa 20 years ago, 25. You guys have heard me say that when I went to the Bible college, the answer, did you go to Bible college? Sometimes. Um, <laughs> That I didn't like to be around missionary people or pastor people because it, it spooked me uh, because I thought, well, maybe God would make me do that someday. So I sort of hung out on the periphery with my perma mullet and uh, <laughs> did my best. Now, you kids, this is a lesson for you. The, the Bible college, uh, they'll, they'll sometimes say you have to have your hair above your collar, of course, the, with a picture of Jesus on the wall with long hair. No sense of irony. Um, 
But here's a tip. You can actually, above your collar doesn't mean you couldn't have it long. And this was circa 1990, so I had like a real long wannabe surfer do here for a while. Uh, made my way through that. But, uh, but, but while I was busy uh, screwing around at Bible school, uh, Matt and Kristen were moving their butts to Botswana. And uh, do, um, can you give us a, uh, is it possible to give us like an overview of like what you guys are doing and 25 years later and, and why in the world you're in Murfreesboro this week? <laughs> you thought Botswana was remote. Uh, can't, I mean, I, I didn't ask him ahead of time. Um, this is why it's great that Andrew is hauling the trailer today, so we don't have to make them <laughs> wait for lunch today. So, everybody meet Matt and uh, Kristen Buckley. By the way, this is Ruth's daughter, <laughs> and Dave is not with us, but Dave and Ruth uh, pastor the church, and they're in Wisconsin now. So yes, here. that's right. Yeah, yeah. and this is my dad, by the way. So we've got my mother-in-law and my father, her father-in-law and her mother. Did you get that? So <laughs> they're not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, well, it's great to be here. Yeah, we went to um, Botswana 1988. I actually went while Kristen was finishing her second year. Mm -hmm. So, um, I've actually lived in Africa for over half my life now. Mm -hmm. So I'll that be 40. Old, yeah, I know. I know, but okay. I'm gonna. When when we were at Rama, we had like instructors that would say that, and we really thought they were old. But I'm not old. <laughs> so I haven't really. I have been there half my life, but I don't feel like it's half my life. Right? Yeah. But in a nutshell, we went there and we uh, just taking one step at a time. It's like when you're in JFK, you don't see signs for Franklin, Tennessee or Thompson Station. Uh, as you get going along, you see more and more direction and you see the way clearer. We just knew go to Africa. So um, as we were there, God showed us that our thing would be to train leaders and to plant churches. And that's what we've been doing. We've got churches. We've got a Bible school, we've got a Christian school, and that's, that's the emphasis of our ministry is training leaders and planting churches. And I got there because he told me there were malls in Africa. <laughs> and you can haggle <laughs> in those malls. No, you can't. They're real malls. <laughs> like actual malls. Well, I, uh, we're grateful to have you guys stop in uh, with us today. Um, so the kid, uh, his son is graduating high school today uh, through a homeschool association, which is in Murfreesboro. So they've uh, they've come to town. And it's uh, yeah, it was a, it was it was just interesting as I was even driving today, thinking, wow, how strange life can be. You know how these we uh, things that the Lord weaves together, and uh, and if you've been around me, obviously you know. And they they um, they were around Rama somewhat. I was there. So they would probably know just that it, uh, there's nothing more shocking than uh, me doing this. Like this is, uh, I almost didn't graduate. Uh, people warned Shannon to not marry me. And, and I'm thinking I'd have probably done the same thing. If my daughter comes home with me, I'm going to have a heart attack. But the Lord was, uh, was gracious. <laughs> and it's probably because he just loves Bonnie so much, Shannon's mama, that he just he brought me to where I am just give her some peace of mind, <laughs> but uh, all that to say, uh, would you open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 6? We have um, just got done, you'd be so either proud or ashamed or some combination of both of me. Um, uh, we just did a wedding uh, yesterday and the day before. Ren and Anna, the couple so nice, they got married twice. We did a wedding a thing on Friday and then again on Saturday, it was, I thought we were Jewish for a moment. We were going to break out the dance. But, um, but I had to wear a, like a suit 
like had to blow the dust off of it and uh, put a tie on. And we were in a church that uh, up on Concord Road, which, look, and here's the thing. I don't want to complain about my first world problems. But we live in America, okay? And we live in Williamson County. And I just want some air conditioning in the church. You know what I'm saying? And it's a church of Christ. They didn't spend any money on instruments. So I know they had more money <laughs> that we could have turned up the AC a little bit. But we were, it was like slow roast crock pot wedding. And I'm in like the foil, like just. But I did survive. I, I, uh, for future, if you're wondering, hey, what can I get Darren for Christmas? I'd like one of those T.D. Jakes uh, hankies. Uh, so I, could just, I needed something to mop my brow with. So it's going to need to be absorbent <laughs> and uh, maybe a handful of them. Oh, a ShamWow. Pray about it. Pray about it. You never know what the Lord will do, right? Romans chapter 6, verse 1. I'm just going to read this whole thing. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means, which I believe in the original Greek was, are you nuts? We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we too may live a new life. In verse 5, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. We should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. In verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, that he cannot die again. That death no longer has mastery over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. In verse 11, then, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin, verse 14, shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but you're under grace. In verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Again, he says, are you nuts? Verse 16, do you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one that you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. 
I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, saying you're a little dense. He's talking to us. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness and leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But what benefit did you reap at the time from uh, the things that you are now ashamed of? That's a hard one to hear, isn't it? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we are... We ask that your word would be a lamp to our feet and a light for our path, that you would speak to us, each one, every one of us, individually today. In Jesus' name, amen. The thing about Romans 1 through 5 is it's kind of awesome. Like, we are justified which means it's just as if I'd never sinned. We are righteous. We are forgiven for every sin that I've ever committed, every sin I'll commit today, and every sin I will commit in the future. It's taken care of, which kind of rocks when you think about it. Like, that's kind of a big deal. Paul would then say at the end of Romans 3, that hey, that's the uh, summation of what I've just written in chapter 5, verse 20-ish. That this we're saved by grace. This is awesome. But there's always then the question, well, why not get your money's worth? Why not go out and just live however we want to live? And throughout history, that has always been the question. Because Paul would talk about now, and I think in Romans 6, probably the most important part of this book, because it's, it's very pivotal, because all of a sudden he switches gears and, and starts into this road of what it means to be, to be sanctified, which means to be useful, which means to be set aside and holy, you know, to be complete. That's something that is a process. When he talks about working out your own salvation, that's the process of that. And if you were here a couple weeks ago, you saw Tim Bassanio tell his story. And he stood here as a man forgiven, a man that I truly believe that when he stands before the Father, he'd be like, what are you talking about? Do you remember the East from the West thing? I choose not to even acknowledge that. So that was forgiven, but then we saw the consequences in his life and in his children and in his family and those things that he lived out with it. And so we saw that it's really there is, uh, when Paul says absolutely not, like he really, truly means it. But I'd say this, that what Paul is really saying to us, which I hopefully is helpful to you, when you're a kid, it's pretty much all you hear is what, like, no, 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 right? And as a parent, you're like, how well is that really working, right? And as you get older, you're like, okay, that's really not working either. No, 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 no. But what Paul was saying was no, 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 no. That we ought to know this forgiveness, this righteousness, to know that 
Romans 1 through 5 would say that we are freedom from the penalty of sin. But Romans 6 tells us that we are free from the power of sin. And if there is one thing that I could say as a pastor that probably was the most surprising to me was how many of us struggle with sins that nobody knows about. And we don't know about because we don't want to talk about it. I, I kind of, uh, maybe like you, I grew up thinking, well, I can, and, and I want you to, it's not my pastor's fault, but the, all the stories of victory and conquering, and like suddenly I thought, oh, I can't do that. Like, because when I faced that temptation, uh, that story didn't end the same way for me. And so what can happen is, you know what, Satan loves the ditches. There's the ditch on the left side, there's the ditch on the right side. When I actually uh, graduated from high school, I, uh, I was in a little town called Superior, Nebraska, a town named Superior, with no sense of irony, in a state called Nebraska, <laughs> this little teeny tiny, I don't know, Superior to what, I don't know, but, but we, I knew I had to get out of there, so I loaded up my little Oldsmobile, and I drove all night. I just thought I have to get out because I'll be trapped here forever. And that worked great until somewhere along, I think it's called the Cimarron Turnpike in Oklahoma, when I suddenly realized I'm in the ditch. And at some point when you are uh, like I was, I literally every possession, which admittedly was not much, but in the Oldsmobile was a lot, stacked to the ceiling, came from the back seat to the front seat as I went and slammed the fan, everything just right in the front seat. And I want you to know I was wide awake at that point. But the ditch there slowed me down a little bit, startled me, bogged me down. And on one side of the ditch is this idea that I never have any problems, that I'm victorious, and that, and what ends up happening, the unintended consequence of that maybe, is that you end up pretending to be somebody that you're not. Because I don't want them to know who I really am, and then you assume everybody else is really awesome, and you're not, and it's this very, very alienating thing, and that's one side of the ditch, that to pretend you're awesome, to pretend, no, no, how are you doing, man, I am victorious, I am blessed in the city, I am blessed in the field, you know, you're like, really, because I saw your car, and I'm just saying, you know, I'm just saying, uh, but it's like this, this idea that I have to ignore that part of me. The other ditch, though, is this Thing I, you know, when Majid spoke last week, I really thought his sermon was hysterical. Because remember what he said, I, I'm going to talk about forgiveness because that's what I know. Uh, he said, you won't hear me do a sermon about cussing because I cuss sometimes when I'm on a mission. Or, you know, he starts, and, and we, we're sort of uh, ingratiated to that because this guy's being authentic and he's real. And so that's a good thing to say, you know, uh, this is who I am. Where the ditch hits, the boom, where the, suddenly you're in the ditch is when now it's okay to be there. Because that's just who I am, that's how I am, I'm just going to give up. Paul talks about a struggle with sin, and the minute I give up the struggle, when I just drive into the ditch and just want to camp for a while, then I miss the point of grace. So we don't have to pretend to be somebody we're not, but we don't have to wallow in something that we're not either, because I got news for you, you might say that's the authentic you, but the word says that it will divide between the soul and the spirit, and I'm telling you, that's not who you are. Your soul might say that's who you are, but your spirit says, oh, no, 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 you're not that guy. That's just one more thing, one more process on the way to heaven. We're all stumbling towards redemption. One more of those. We don't celebrate it, we don't honor it, but we don't hide it either. 
we just give it to the Father. So the ditch on either side is, is the danger. And what Paul is saying in the middle of this is that we don't have to be a slave to sin anymore because it's dead. Your old man is dead. When we were doing the wedding, uh, so it was a week ago Friday, we were at uh, Anna's house and uh, we were sitting around the table. Anna was at work and we were getting ready to kind of plan out the wedding that night. And there was, she was a little late, and suddenly there was a commotion in the garage. And we go down to the garage, and Anna, a week before she's about to get married, pulls into the garage at her parents' house and opens the door, and from the ceiling falls a six-foot-long snake, right, just plop. It, uh, it caused uh, some alarm. Not sure if that's an omen. I just... I'm saying, I ain't never seen that before. I mean, I, I'm 41 years old. I've never, had a, I've never seen a snake fall out of the ceiling, ever. And I'm pretty okay around snakes, but I got to tell you, I might have uh, screamed <laughs> like a little girl. But we had to figure out what to do with the snake, and I'm really sorry if you're an animal person. Uh, sorry about this. I'll tell you about the story of the bunny later and, you, you know, getting healed and all that. But, but for now, this for the purposes of this one, we have to figure out what we're going to do with the snake, at which point I asked the ladies to leave the room, musicians as well. And then we... Uh, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just playing with you. I, no, I just, I, I, I'm not saying they're ladies. I just asked them to leave. And, and I think that the thing that they heard going up the stairs was a thong, which is the sound of the shovel. And here's the thing then, uh, somebody who's standing there with me, and, and, and I mean, I got him square right on the head. Well, he didn't feel a thing, I promise you. If you're pro-snake, whatever, he just didn't feel a thing. And, but his body was like just flailing all around, and, and he said, is he dead? I'm like, oh yeah, he's dead. He just don't know it yet. He, uh, <laughs> But I was reminded that that's when, in the garden, when, uh, when the Lord said to Eve that your heel will crush his head, speaking of the serpent, that he's dead. Uh, he just don't know it yet. Your old man, my old man, is dead. That's what Paul is saying here, that there is power over this. And if you are struggling with anything that you, and we can call it an addiction. We can call it whatever we want to. And understand, I, I work with Place of Hope, right? I understand what addiction does to people's lives. And there can be a chemical thing. So don't hear me throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But I think in America that we have thrown the category of addiction at a lot of things that just need to be crucified. Just got to be, oh, you know what? That's a, that's a problem. No, it's not. That's a sin. And you need to stop it. I need to stop it. Don't wallow in it. Don't go to the other side, though, where you pretend it doesn't there. You're right down the middle of it. And when I look at Romans 6, there's the three things that sort of jump out to me. And I want you to hear me say that. I, if, if the Lord wanted us to live our lives by lists, he, I think he would have written the Bible uh, differently. So whenever you see me put up some points, it's not that I feel like you should write down these points and then have a little flip chart to, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm battling this now, so I need to find the, what do I do? Well, these three things, and then it's, it's not that. These are three things that I'm observing when I read this. The Holy Spirit might show you something different, and I want you to know that if he does, I would encourage you to check out and to listen to him and to write it down, and so you don't forget it. I'll be here when it's over. 
You can come back and you can pretend, well, I'll think you listen, it'll be fine. But I'd rather you listen to him than to me. And so if he says some things to you as we're going through this and you see different things, that's okay. Write them down. I'd say that because the enemy, it says when the word is sown, the enemy would come to try and steal it from you. Don't let him do that. The one, number one way he steals it is that you don't remember it. Remember what we've talked about on these doors, whether they're government installed or some conspiracy, we don't know, but there are magnetic strips that will cause you to forget everything, it'll erase it all when you walk out this door. So you write down what you can so you can go back and, and restore it to your hard drive when you're there. But when I look at this, I see in Romans 6 that we need to appreciate what he has done. Freedom from sin is pretty big. Like, that's huge. I have forgiveness, the penalty of sin, but I actually have power over it. That's a big one. It's huge. And I feel like that I sometimes, maybe you, need to appreciate that more. One of the best ways I feel to do it is at communion. When we are worshiping in a little bit, we'll have communion available for you. May or may not have salted and cured meats, but we will have communion available. But as you are partaking of communion, why do we have two elements? Why is there blood and the body? The blood speaks of the significance of the forgiveness, of the cleansing of our sin. The body speaks of the power over sin. His body was broken. And Paul would say here in Romans that we are crucified. My old man was killed in that he has no power over me, just like a dead snake flopping around in the garage. And the only power that he has is power that... I give it because I just don't know it. When I know it, Paul says, no, K-N-O-W, know it, it changes everything. Everything. And so I can look to that dead snake and say, he's flopping around. He's been flopping around for 2,000 years. But he's dead and he's got no power over me. Only power he has is power that I will give him from myself. I don't say that to make anybody feel badly, by the way. Because we are all, they're all, we are all, I want you to know all, all means what? All of us. Work out your own salvation. This is a journey. It's like a giant puzzle. You can't put it all together at once. You've got to start somewhere. And your journey is you're putting it together. And, and I believe that as we get, maybe mosaic is a better picture. At the end of our lives, that mosaic, all those pieces, the broken ones, the complete ones, will fit together to complete this beautiful picture of our lives. Don't get all hung up because there's one that someone else has got figured out and you don't. Know that that's a piece that, that's coming. And don't believe the lie that it has power over you. We need to appreciate it. Appreciate the broken body of Christ. I think that the thing that Paul then tells us to do in verse 11 is to appropriate it. And what I mean by that is, it says in verse 11 in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, I think King James actually uses the word reckon. And we're in the South. If you've been to uh, Puckett's, you've heard the word reckon. I reckon you want some sweet tea, don't you? Re reckon doesn't just mean I'm making a decision. Reckon is an accounting term. I love this with NIV, one of the rare times it gets it right, is it says count it because it's an accounting term. We had a, uh, a report sent to us this week. Mo and I were, uh, got a report from our bookkeeper, and, and it, uh, it caused me some uh, alarm. I had what I would believe to be the uh, pastoral version of a Maalox moment uh, going, oh, Oh, that's bad. We're in trouble. We're, and it was 
showed us to be $3,000 in the hole for the last six months. And uh, I lost some sleep. I'm like, oh, no, man, how do we do this? And I wake up in the morning, and then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. So this number was given all at once, but then it is appropriated out over a period of time. For instance, if someone is raising support, they might get a large check for their mission, but then we appropriate it out over a period of time. So it shows a one-time big check here, but then a bunch in the hole unless, the, unless it is appropriated in the right account. So once we figured that out, all of a sudden it was like, oh, it was just needed to be counted in the right spot. And I slept better that night. I think that the lie of the enemy is that we start appropriating things in the wrong box. And it causes me a lot of lost sleep because I'm appropriating this into this account saying, I don't, this doesn't add up because I can't quit doing this. And what I'm saying, what I believe Paul is saying, we just put it in the wrong account. Put it under the account of Christ paid it for you, a financial term. He will say at the end, what, that the wages of sin is death. That's another financial term. The good news is he cashed that check for us. So it's not our paycheck anymore, it's his. But in the meantime, if I will account it under the right place, appropriate it in the right place, saying I will count myself as dead to sin, it zeroes out, and then we're golden. Account it, appropriate it, and then last but not least, applicate it. You guys know that I'm a big fan of the anti-monkey butt powder. <laughs> big fan. Because, you know, if you use the gold bond when you're walking around like a developing nation, you're all swampy and sweaty, gold bond stinks. Like, everybody thinks it's like, come from the nursing home, dude. What is that smell? But not anti-monkey butt powder. This is real, by the way, and I learned about it from, uh, I think, from Jeff Gilbert, who's out there, drummer for Cutlass, going to get ready to go be a pastor. He's the first one that taught me about the anti-monkey butt powder on tour. But let me tell you what, the anti-monkey butt powder in the bottle does me no good. I have to apply it, <laughs> applicate it. <laughs> and trust me, I just did a wedding for two days where it was hot. We did it in a barn on Saturday. Uh, you have to apply this <laughs> to your life. I apologize for the mental picture, but I want you to know that you will never forget what I'm about to tell you because you'll think, oh, I just need to apply it. <laughs> he says to us this, that as those from death to life, verse 13, to offer yourself your instruments of righteousness as those who have come back to life, who have been resurrected, I was watching a video this week of a, a doctor who I won't show it this morning just for the sake of time. Died in a kayaking accident underwater for 15 minutes. In the interview on Dr. Oz, okay, I did not, I swear I don't watch Dr. Oz, it was on YouTube, um, was talking about how her life was different after that. And it turns out there's all kinds of research of people that have survived near-death experiences and how they live differently. They don't really understand time anymore because they're not in a hurry to get anywhere. People accuse them of being aloof. 
because they don't really get worked up over stuff. Donna just survived a near-death experience when her car was hit by a tornado and flipped completely upside down and over and landed again, and she walked away with no injuries. But uh, I think life is different after that happens to you. And I'd say that the studies prove it out that once you have crossed over and experienced what's on the other side, that life is different after that. And what Paul is saying is that you are that. You have died and you've been resurrected and we ought to live differently because of it. And he would say that we would do it as instruments. I'm not going to play the video. He's a good looking guy though, isn't he? Uh, that we can do it as instruments of righteousness. That my hands, that my feet, that my legs, that my life can be spent now as instruments of righteousness. And I would say to you that the only thing that stands between you and me and this, and if you've checked out, and I would ask you to check back in, you know, if you're napping, that's fine, just to be a couple minutes and you can go back. But don't miss this, not because it's anything genius that I'm about to say, but it is a truth that Paul gives us here that if you'll learn this and you'll know it and applicate it, I think that it'll change some things for us in our lives. The difference between what we do with our body and our instruments, the enemy of it is our brain, our mind. I read a book called Lone Survivor, this dude named Marcus that was a Navy SEAL that was the only survivor of 18, I believe, Navy SEALs in a battle in Afghanistan in 2005. And this guy, it was, it was remarkable. I couldn't put it down. Probably neglected my family while I was reading it because I was just like, yeah, this book is so good. But he talks about the training part, and I was fascinated. Because at one point, Instructor Reno, Commander Reno, who was their guy at SEALs boot camp, who put these guys through hell. They tread water for 15 minutes in 50-degree water at a time. Get out of the water, get wet and sandy, roll around on the beach, go do some calisthenics, come back, do it again. Now, I want you to know that we just went to uh, Sliding Rock, uh, North Carolina. There's a little waterfall there. It was 52-degree water. It was like sliding into a glass of tea. It's freezing. Like, your whole body just went, ah. And these guys were treading water for 15 minutes in that stuff. But he would say that it was about his mind. And Inspector Reno, one night came in, and it was about midnight. They had to get up at 4.30, and he takes one of the recruits' room and just dumps it. Messes the whole thing up. And then demands an immediate room inspection, at which point this guy had to spend an extra hour or two putting his room back together, and still had to be up at 4.30 in the morning with the other guys. And here's what Reno said to him. He said, Marcus, I put it up here because it's a really good quote. He said, Marcus, the body can take darn near anything. It's the mind that needs training. He would later say that, can you handle this kind of injustice? The question for a Navy SEAL is, can you 
see this kind of injustice, unfairness, and can you still respond? Can you cope with that kind of unfairness, that much of a setback, and still come back? Can you do it? Because if you're a Navy SEAL, you got to. Marcus would go on to say that the only difference between those that made it and didn't, again, the human body can do darn near anything, it was their mind. Because at some point he talks about his roommate quitting. They went through the whole process together, but in his mind, he didn't think he could do it. No wonder Paul would say that we ought to do what? Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, 2. Because my, the truth is this, that I, my old man is dead. He has no power over me. But my mind doesn't get that. And so my mind gives in, and it ought to be renewed. There's a story that I think illustrates it beautifully in the book of Judges. And you don't have to turn there. You can go later. Chapter 5. Deborah had just been given command of the Israeli army. The Canaanites were coming. The Canaanites had been ruling over them. There was a king named Jabin, and he had given control to a guy named Sisera, a general who was in control of the area where Israel was. And in this picture, think with me, that Jabin... It's a picture of Satan, a picture of the power over everything, but then talks about principalities and powers in different areas. And here's a picture of that with Sisera, of your old man, so to speak, that wants power over you. And so the Canaanites were coming, and they had 900 chariots, which would be the equivalent, I guess, of Abram tanks. It's a big deal. And you might remember the story, but God comes along, and all of them are wiped out. But somehow, Sisera gets away. And it's recorded that he is running for his life. He has no power anymore, and he is taken to the hills. And he is run, and he finally crests a hill, and he sees a tent, and outside, it's, it's a small world, someone he knows. It's a girl named J.L., who he would have known because her husband name was Heber. What a great name, and aren't you so glad your daddy didn't name you Heber? Heber. Heber, which means crossing over from where we would get the word Hebrew from, crossing over. They crossed over to another place. And so there's J.L. and her husband Heber, and he knows them because he used to be in charge of them when they lived in the Canaanite land. It says, I think in verse 14, somewhere around there, that it says that Heber was a Kenite, which was in the land of the Canaanites. So we know that that's where he came from. Stick with me. Here comes Sisera saying, hey, JL, I need you to give me something to drink. I need some water. I love this because she gives him, we have runners in here. Carrie Anderson ran about a quarter of a mile yesterday. And he, no, you made like a mile. That's awesome. Happy Father's Day. But what's the last thing you really want at the end of a run but a room temperature glass of unpasteurized milk? Right? Well, that'll wrestle you. So, but that's what she does. She gives him a glass of milk. He asks for water. She gives him a glass of milk. And it's just like that always. The little bit of thing, I just want a little, I'm just going to invite him in for a second. Just going to, just a tiny little thing. And, and gang, if you're young especially, it never works. Lust is never satisfied with a little bit. It always wants more. So she invites him in. And next thing you know, he's like, okay, now you need to hide me. Hide me under there. And boy, is that just a picture of it? Or right? Okay, I don't want anybody to know that I just did that. 
I'm going to delete it. I'm going to just pretend that wasn't there. I'm going to not tell anybody. I'm going to hide it. Because that's what sin does is it begins to isolate you. You, can't, you start to keep secrets that you didn't have before. But this is the picture that's so awesome because here's Sisera who has no authority at all over her. And she's done with it because now he's saying, okay, yeah, but if anybody comes, tell them I'm not here. Finally, he goes to sleep and it's recorded that she takes a tent peg, goes over to him quietly and pulls out a hammer and drives it through his temple and nails him to the ground and killed the old man. Is not my hammer, or my word a hammer, Jeremiah 23 says to us. That my word is a hammer in your hands. That that tent peg speaks of nails, spikes that would pin Jesus to a cross. Speaks of your old man being drilled to that tree as well. And so when the old man comes knocking... We don't have to put up with it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Milk, it's referred to in Scripture as Scripture. As newborn babes desire milk, Paul would write. Get this out of your mind, by the way. That there's this idea that, well, these simple principles are just for the babies, but I'm a mature Christian. I don't have to do that. That's not what it says. As newborn babies desire milk, so should you desire the milk of the word. Don't let yourself be someone that, oh, I've already heard that one. I got that one down packed. Drink the milk. Feed that milk to your old man. That's what begins to renew your mind, and then you take the hammer of the word, and it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't have to bow down to this, because it says here that my, the old man is dead to me. Any power that I think it has is not there. This is a one-step program. It's God's word driven into your problem. And I would say that all of us have areas in our life, again, think of it as a giant puzzle. Not all, I need to drill this one to the cross. I need to take the hammer of the word. This thing is dead to me. It has no power over me. I'm not doing it again. And with the hammer, bam. I'd say the best way to honor your father today, fathers, the best way for us to be honorable is to kill our old man. Drive it back again. And that, as a father, is a way that we can not only honor our father in heaven, but we honor our children as well. What you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. Remember that. The example that we set, they catch a lot more than they hear. Jim <laughs> said that, uh, and he's never shared any with me, but when they do prayer requests, when your kids get in there and the first thing they do is a little gathering and how was your week and what, what can we pray for, Jim said, I always know which parents had a fight on the way to church. <laughs> I always know what's going on. <laughs> and you didn't think they saw it. Or worse, you didn't care. But I'd say to you this, you don't have to do that. Drill it. Be a father that is going to stand up with the hammer of the word and drill it into the ground and set the example for your children. Kill your old man. 
Father, we are uh, we just ask for you to show us each the areas of our lives that 